afternoon. Uh, so this afternoon we're going to be talking about Facebook, uh, all things digital, what works, what doesn't. It's going to be the solution to all of the media's ills in an hour. <laughs> I'm delighted we've got uh, Ezra, who's just told me how to pronounce her last name and I'm going to get it wrong. Dora Marcha. How is that? You get three and a half points. Okay, that's better than, that's better than last time. <laughs> That's better than the last time I tried. Anyway, so um, Esther is currently working with, well, I'm sure she'll tell us in a minute, the Deutsche Welle. She's also worked with uh, Al Jazeera, worked with BBC, and uh, uh, many other organisations as well uh, in helping them work through their digital, social media, and video strategies. So, uh, great to see you again, Ezra. Off you go. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you, Reuters Institute, James, for inviting me here again. Um, and yeah, just to very quickly introduce myself, I've been at Deutsche Welle for about the last five months where I'm senior editor for digital. Before that I was with the BBC for about four years where I was a digital consultant and then yes, before that I was with Al Jazeera in Doha and in Turkey helping them to set up basically social media. And it sounds really old saying it now, helping to set up social media. But I promise there's more coming. Okay, so I'm here to talk about uh, why Facebook matters and what we might get wrong about it. And this all started at the Perugia <coughs> Journalism Festival that took place last month. And it's basically the who's who of media taking over this beautiful town in Italy. There's over 120 different sessions. And this session was called In Your Facebook. And it was the brainchild of Aaron Pilhoffer of New York Times and Guardian fame. And I just want to read to you how he described that session. Facebook has received a lot of criticism from publishers in recent years, but like it or not, Facebook is increasingly the place people turn to for news. This panel was a deliberately provocative, one-sided appeal to journalists and publishers to wake up and understand the immense opportunity Facebook provides us, particularly in the realm of video. So to get things going, I want to play his introduction from uh, the, the panel and then we'll get going. This story starts basically last week for me. So is everybody here on Facebook? Yeah, is there anyone here not on Facebook? So this is actually, <laughs> this is actually kind of amazing. I'd say maybe 7% of the people in the room here are not on Facebook, so. <laughs> so it, that's actually quite an anomaly. I'm really surprised to see that. But for everybody else who's here on Facebook, I'm guessing you, you check into it every single day. Would that be a correct statement? And you all see these memories come up. So this time last year, you were doing this. So this is what happened this time for me last week. I got this notification that I've been on Facebook for 10 years. And I remember the moment that I joined Facebook. I was living in Turkey at the time, and my Canadian friends were lobbying me to get on. I used to be an athlete in Canada, and one of them was saying, you've got to get on and you'll meet all your old athlete friends on here. And they had discovered it because I think they had gone to Simon Fraser University. And as we all know, it started with the university networks and took off from there. So I do think I was one of the kind of early adopters when I was living in Turkey. So that happened last week. But then during the Perugia Journalism Festival, which was the 4th to 9th April, I got this notification. So this is when I was working for Al Jazeera. This is April 6, 2012. Al Jazeera English Facebook hit 1 million likes fans. And you'll, you might not see on the bottom, but only six people <laughs> liked my post that day, <laughs> which is not that great. And then I had this memory come up also just a little bit before then as well, which is 
On March 15, 2012, Al Jazeera Arabic hit 2 million subscribers on Facebook. And so I used to be part of the new media team at Al Jazeera. And this is three of us from that team. We'd make this cake of, you know, 2 million, 2 million on Al Jazeera Arabic. And you can see there's only 14 people who've liked this post. And there's nobody in the cafeteria who cares what was going on. <laughs> and the reason for this is we were doing something different. We were this little office of people who were kind of tucked away. We were behind. And literally, people used to think, oh, you're new media? Oh, you guys are the one who are just on Facebook and Twitter and watching YouTube videos all day long. And we'd say, yes, that is, that's all we do all day long. And I think kind of the moment of importance came for us is I joined about four days before Arab Spring in Egypt kicked off. And a lot of people talked about that as a social media revolution. I don't think it was a social media revolution, but I think it was a way for us to get the voices that were not being represented in the mainstream media at the time. And that's when people started to sit up and take notice to this power of social media, not just in Al Jazeera, but in other places around. Now, that new media team doesn't exist anymore. And the reason that it doesn't exist anymore is because that function has basically been absorbed in the newsroom. So while you still might have social media teams, that particular team at Al Jazeera is no longer. And just to kind of show you where we've come in five years, uh, that 2 million from five years ago has become 21.5 million for Al Jazeera Arabic. And for Al Jazeera English, that 1 million has become 9.5 million now. So this is as of the 1st of May. But with this, there are a few problems that come along. So, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that. The first thing is that I find a lot of people are drinking the Kool-Aid. Is everybody familiar with this expression here? A similar expression might be just jumping on the bandwagon. And what I mean by that is Facebook has grown so, so much that people think, there's these massive numbers, you're getting millions of views or whatever, I need to be a part of this. So it's the cool thing, everybody's talking about it on conferences wherever you go to, so we need to be involved. So that's what I mean by a lot of people are drinking the Kool-Aid. And coming together with that, there's a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about. So I've been known to say at previous occasions that I think 80% of the people working in digital don't have a clue, but they're there because they think this is, the, I know I'm going to get some people upset, I apologize in advance, but, <laughs> but um, a lot of, and this is one of the problems that I have, a lot of people see this as kind of the new media gold rush frontier, and they need to be a part of it, but they, they don't have the knowledge that comes with it. But on the flip side of that coin is, you'll find a lot of people who might not necessarily have grown up with these social platforms, but maybe have some kind of knowledge or expertise, and then they'll try to monopolize that knowledge or expertise. This is another problem. So one of the things that I've seen are, some people think uh, just because they have the analytics or they have the, the data, that they're the only ones who are kind of the custodians of how should we be doing strategy, how should we be talking about it. Because you're in that position of power, you have to be very, very careful about what you're telling people. And I'll go into this a little bit later. The other problem that I see is there are a lot of third-party tools and applications that are going to give you a lot more analytics and insights. But a lot of problems with these is they're geared for social media marketing. They're not made for news. So the figures that are going to be useful <coughs> for us as broadcasters or working as, as publishers, social media marketing doesn't apply. And just out of my curiosity, a lot of people here, the fellows, are, are media, and there's a lot of other people in the room as well. So I'd be really curious to know who is working in digital media here. 
Okay, so there's only four or five people here out of a room of about, let's say, 50, uh, working in, in digital media, and yet, Again, you see everybody's talking about digital, the future of news, the reports that the Reuters Institute is, is coming up with. A lot of it is digital focused and savvy. So how can we be planning this future of news when there's so few people working in it and even less than that, there's few people who I think really know what they're talking about. You all still with me? Yeah? Yeah? Just put up your hands when it gets too technical and we'll just take it back. So. Um, do you guys remember Jennifer Lopez had this song called My Love Don't Cost a Thing? So I went ahead and changed the lyrics here so views don't mean a thing. So I thought that would get a more of a reaction, but I guess it didn't. Okay. <laughs> I have to cue my reaction. It's a different kind of audience. Okay, well, so there's a reason why I say my, I just want to cue this up. Views don't mean a thing, and you'll see exactly why. These are two, these are a few screenshots. These top two are coming from Facebook Insights. This one on the bottom and on the right-hand side is YouTube Analytics. And I'm going to explain to you exactly what's going on here. These two kind of boxes on the top are showing you the video performance for two real videos from a major broadcaster. Now, the number that you will see on the outside as a viewer is going to be this aggregate views number. And that's the underlined number. So you see for the first video it says 520,000 and the second is 3.6 million. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with it, a view can be somebody's gone and watched a video for one second and they've left. They've gone back and clicked and watched something over and over and over again. You know that Facebook has basically the autoplay, so as you're scrolling through your feed, if that video starts playing, that counts as a view. So that number is basically massively inflated. So then Facebook came up with, all right, let's do 10 second views. And you can see when it comes to 10 second views, there's a massive drop in the number. There's about 310,000 drop in that number. And then the same thing happens on the right side as well. There's a 1.5 million drop in that number. I would say that that's pretty significant. But the problem is the only numbers that we see from the outside as either consumers or even as publishers is that big aggregate number. And it doesn't mean a thing because you can see how skewed it is here. Okay, let's break it down a little bit more and see what happens. So this video that we have on the left-hand side, you'll see that it has a video average watch time of 15 seconds. How long do you think that that original video was? One minute 30. One minute 30? That's a pretty good guess because the, the, the main types of videos that really work on Facebook are between 60 to 90 <coughs> seconds long. So you're not that far off. It's one minute 10. So. For those of you who are working in, let's say, traditional media, you've gone to the time and effort of creating a video that's one minute, 10 seconds long, and your average audience is only watching it for 15 seconds. Okay? So let's have a look at the second example. This one is for 13 seconds long. How, how long do you suppose this video is? It's three minutes and 42 seconds. So you're putting up content on Facebook of three minutes and 42. And by the way, that was cut down from a, an original 22 minute program. So they've made a short Facebook version of it. And your audience is only watching approximately 13% of the content. So this is the problem that I'm trying to highlight. That even though on the outside we see these big aggregate numbers, when you break it down, the audience isn't really watching very much. They're not really engaging with this content. And again, we can talk about this a little bit more for the question answer. Something that I'm going to go to YouTube now and show you what's happening. Now, 
This is the back end of YouTube, so I haven't showed any numbers here, but I want to show you the what the analytics looks like. You'll notice on the right-hand side, this is basically a list of all of the things that you can pick for analytics. There's one thing missing here. Can anybody notice what that is? There's no views. And the reason why there's no views is because YouTube, quite a few years ago, also came to the same conclusion that views doesn't mean a thing. And it's not an accurate measure. Now, YouTube is the world's second largest, basically, web platform after Google. And it's also the Internet's biggest, it's the biggest video platform. But publishers, by paying attention to this views number, are really helping, basically, Facebook trying to close that gap. So it is still really significant. YouTube got rid of views, and what they brought instead is watch time. Watch time is a more true engagement of what, what people are actually watching. And what YouTube says, the more watch time minutes you can aggregate, so that's real people watching real content, that's what's going to drive your video up the YouTube algorithm and then push it up. So then as a publisher, you're doing all these kinds of things to optimize your video. You're putting a thumbnail, a good title, you're making sure that it's searchable and available. But once your minute starts going, that's why when you're, when you're on YouTube, you might see that content just starts reappearing and reappearing because after it clears a certain threshold, it will just start generating minutes views and it will start appearing on its own. So this is the main difference there. Another way that I want to show it is on the bottom here, you've got, again, when you go into the main analytics page for YouTube, it gives you this display where you can filter by channels, video or assets. And you'll notice here as well, so I haven't put any information on there, but the first metric that YouTube point out is watch time minutes and it, and it deprioritizes views. And I think this is the conflict that publishers have. What you'll notice, for those of you who are going to be going and working into digital, a lot of publishers don't talk about it. And the reason for that is, as you can see here, views is the inflated number. It's a really easy number to start throwing around and saying, oh, look, we have millions and millions, therefore we're successful. But it doesn't tell you the story. I had also heard once at the BBC somebody say that only 5% of Facebook views are actual views. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't have any information from Facebook about it. But just by having a look at these two video examples, you can see that there's a massive drop-off. To bring in minutes watched, you can see that Facebook has kind of resorted in kind on the top where they're saying, actually, this is the amount of minutes we've got watched on this 15-second retention video, and then 1.6 million on this one. But again, as a consumer of media or publisher, <coughs> these are kind of hard figures to understand. I mean, if we put these as success measures, oh, I put this video up, I had 1.6 million minutes watched. What does that mean? It's really hard. So they've come down with the lowest common denominator of views. But again, I'm speaking to an audience here of people who are working in the media, who are interested in the media, and will probably likely be working with digital media more and more. This is what you need to know. And so this is my message, I guess, my wider message to publishers. Please stop doing this. <laughs> so I know that I've specifically called out AJ Plus in the top left-hand corner and the bottom left-hand corner. And that's not because I don't like them. I think AJ Plus is great. I think they're a very, very good example of, of basically taking control of the social digital space and speaking relevance to an audience that is engaged with them. But also, if you start talking about we have 2 billion views for, or we've reached 2 billion views, what does that mean? It's a very, very easy number to be throwing around, but again, just remember JLo, okay? When you see this number, just think of JLo. <laughs> and on the bottom left here as well, you see a source view called Tubular Labs. 
They're talking about their viewership on Facebook. So when you have, I think, examples like this saying, these are the numbers that you should be chasing, what, what does that mean? Is that something that people should be aspiring to? Or why are we not getting into the numbers and, and seeing what's happening? You can also see here up on the top right, there's this um, chart of the final presidential debate Facebook views. And again, you see these big aggregate numbers. But it's not telling you about how long people are staying with the video or how many are actually watching the video. So please, if you have any power or influence, please don't do this. I think a solution to this is companies like maybe Facebook or YouTube is to marry up this data. How can we get to a place where that view count is going to be something that's more reflective of what's actually going on in that panel? And I don't think that that's a question that I'm, I'm going to be answering. Um, but I think the point that I'm trying to make here is you have to question this aggregate number. So even though it says 4 billion, what I was trying to show you on this previous one is look at that breakdown in numbers. Look how significantly that drops. So, okay, all right. So when we're talking about problems, I think it's really good to be talking about solutions. And so I have a couple of solutions that we can you know, talk about or just use as a discussion point. So I'm living in Berlin and I wanted to bring in the Ample Men here. Do you guys know Ample Men? Yeah, so for those of you who don't know Ample Men, in um, kind of East Germany, this is what you have on the traffic lights there. So, you know, the green man has a hat and, he's, and, that's, and that's, the, that's the stop man here. So, in terms of analytics, these are the things we should be deprioritizing. Reach doesn't mean a thing. Impressions doesn't mean a thing. Views don't mean a thing. So, I would really say, I wouldn't say disregard this data, but I would say that there's much, much stronger, better data that we should be paying attention to. And those metrics are engagement. Because as a news publisher, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create loyalty for your brand. And it's here that I think we could be taking some lessons from business and we could be taking some lessons from investment. So I've been reading Tim Ferriss's book, Tools of Titans. And one thing that I was reading yesterday is that all you need to go for is 100,000 true fans. If you have 100,000 true fans who believe in your product, then that product is going to scale. And again, even though I slightly criticized AJ Plus before, I think they're a very good example of that. They have their true fans, they know exactly what we're doing. But if you have a look at, again, into your analytics, companies like YouTube will be able to tell you a metric called active subscribers. So let's say you're subscribed to a YouTube channel and it's got a million people on it, right? It will give you a metric saying what percentage of those subscribers are actually coming and watching your videos. Those are the numbers that we should be looking for and interrogating. Engagement is a big part of the picture here, and I'm going to show you uh, on a different display what that means. We should be looking at watch time and we should be looking at retention. There's no use producing, you know, these 24-minute programs when people are only watching 13 seconds of that content on YouTube. Um, so again, what I was saying is these are the things I think that we should be deprioritizing as publishers and paying attention to this. And again, if just to go back to this whole social media uh, marketing example, which is these are, these are big fat aggregate numbers that are very, very easy to throw around, but it doesn't work for the news industry. So look at something that's a bit more engaging, that's trying to build up loyalty with your, with your brand and also with your content. An organization that I think does this really well is Newswhip. Newswhip comes out with pretty regular reports of who's doing what. So every month they'll do a roundup of who's doing really well on Facebook and they'll do case studies of kind of these publishers of what they're doing. So down in this left-hand corner here, 
they're having a look at shares of Facebook pages videos. So you'll notice it's not even views. You'll never see Newswhip um, talk about views. They're always talking about interaction and engagement because they know that that's a much more nutritious analytic measure that you should be going after. Um, another example of them is here on the right hand side and on the top I've got CrowdTangle and it's to CrowdTangle that our attention now turns. Now, um, so this might be a little bit more technical of a chat than the usual talks that the Institute is used to, but I think it's valuable to be talking about this. So CrowdTangle is a third party tool that was bought by Facebook last December. And what they did is they made it free for all Facebook media partners. They made it free to all journalism institutes. And now they've basically opened up the floodgates and say, if you are in media, all you can do is just go to our main site, click on the right and, and join. And what they're basically doing is making analytics free for everybody. They track Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook. You can build your own list, and there's basically two uses for this. The first one is for social media news gathering, and the second one is competitor and performance analysis. And that's why I want to show you what these tools look like, because uh, in my experience, I've never seen a tool that's so comprehensive and so free, and, and it just so happens that Facebook bought it. So what I'm showing you right now is a list that uh, we have created looking at the top English publishers on Facebook whose accounts have one million or more likes. And I'm going to hover it and show you how this works. So here we have the New York Times, and you can see, again at the top, there's no such thing talking about views. What they're talking about is interactions, and if I was to click on any of these, it would filter down in those categories, but I'll just keep it the same. So for New York Times, it says here that their total interactions in the last 30 days was 6.6 .6 million, and then it breaks it down for you. Out of that 6.6 .6 million, 5.8 million were links. Now that doesn't really surprise me because it's a newspaper. They're sending out links of their content. Photos were about 77,000 and then Facebook videos were about, were about three quarters of a million. Okay, so really interesting. So if, can you just, what, an interaction, what is it? So if I, if I click on interaction here, it like says it's a like, love, a wow, a ha ha. So whatever metric, <laughs> a ha ha. So whatever, <laughs> whatever metric a platform has, so for Twitter it would be, it would be a like, a retweet, uh, a reply back, right? And for Instagram it would basically be the same. So we're looking at Facebook right now. As we slide over, you can see that there's an interaction rate here. And then if I hover over the interaction rate, it's going to give me the interaction rate of how each format of content is also performing. Now again, from a strategic point of view, that's really useful because then I would be able to decide, oh, my video is performing really well or not performing so well. And again, I want to point out, there's no views here. There's no views. So let's scroll up to a different example. Let's have a look at Times of India. So you can see that they've got 10, about 10 million interactions in the last 30 days. Again, it's links because it's a newspaper, so they're really driven by links. And they've got 2.5 million Facebook videos. But then also look over here. They're publishing on average 160 posts a day. New York Times is publishing about 54. So they're really, really pushing. They're really, really going for it. And then let's compare with one in the middle, AJ+. So they're, you know, in between the New York Times and the Times. If I scroll over here, you can see they've got very few links, but the majority of what they're doing is Facebook video. It's video that's posted native to Facebook. And again, if I slide over here, you can see that their interaction rates are much higher. So the reason that I'm showing you this is because I think it's very important 
if we are going into kind of this future of news, we need to have the right currency or we need to have the right tools to be able to know what we need and what we're talking about it. And again, I know this is kind of a more technical talk than maybe what the, the other talks here have been like, but again, I just want to emphasize, if we're going to be going into this digital future, there will be a lot of people who will be trying to show you, oh, I'm successful because I have a billion views. But actually, these are the things that we should be paying attention to. So uh, in saying that, not all software is created equal. There's a lot of kind of third-party tools that, again, are pushing what I was mentioning at the beginning, which is the whole marketing approach. It's very easy to say, we reach so many people. So to give you an example, there's 50 people in the room here. So I have now reached 50 people. But how many people in this room am I going to be engaging with? I've engaged with Richard and James and with David and, and with Louise before. And those kind of interactions are more real. It's basically the same thing that's applied to the digital world as well. And that's why it doesn't matter. Okay, so another solution that I have, which I think I've been hinting at, is bring in an increased digital in the curriculum. Something that I've been thinking about this year and that I also wrote for the Global Editors Network for, and I'll post, I'll post the links to that in uh, my Twitter account afterwards, is everybody's talking about the future of journalism, but actually, are we really prepared for the future of journalism? And I think the answer is no. Whenever people are talking about the subject, they're talking about the technology. They're talking about VR and AR and, ER, whatever they might be talking about. But actually, these things are well ahead into the future. They're not at a price point that a normal consumer could be taking it. And I started thinking about this because last uh, semester I was teaching a master's class at City University on social and digital journalism. And they're calling right now. <laughs> and I was really surprised at um, you know, I'd, I, I had done trainings before in the BBC, and one of the things that I was using when I would train, let's say, traditional broadcast journalists at the BBC is, you know, the future journalists, they're all going to be coming through, they all have a Twitter account, they all have a blog, they know how to shoot video on their mobile, and, you know, if you want to survive, you need to know what you're doing. But then when I went to start teaching, I discovered that that wasn't the case. And it wasn't the case because the emphasis is still on print, traditional magazine journalism. Now, it's not the fault of many of these journalism institutions because the expertise is drawn from the experience and the people that they have. And there are a lot more people who have worked in the traditional realm than who are coming from the digital realm. So I think one of the solutions that I propose is let's find the people, like these people who I have down here below, and Anne-Marie's at Mashable, Ziad is Al Jazeera, Mariam, um, Majd and Carol are all working at the BBC. These are all people who are kind of under the radar, but they know what they're talking about. And these are the people who we need to be getting in talking into newsrooms. Um, this is my advice. There's also, um, there's a news organization in Berlin, and I'm just going blank on the name, but it's in my, it's in my Jan article, where they make sure that all of their instructors are actually practitioners. So it's not just pure academics who are coming in and teaching these things, it's these people who are dealing with it on the day-to-day -day basis. Another point that I've made in previous talks, I have a talk about social video, which is all on SlideShare, you can go and have a look on, on them there, is your competitors are not actually your competitors. This is something that I see a lot of, that just because you're working for one organization, it's kind of poo-pooed if you go and talk to your competitors, and I don't think that that's the right way that's going on about it. The reason I say your competitors are not your competitors is because we're not really going for the same thing. AJ Plus has a very defined audience. It's American, it's 
young, they're on mobile. They're not going to TV, they're not even going to the website. BBC likes to build itself as the world's newsroom. Deutsche Welle, where I work, is a German public broadcaster. You're all going for different things, but I, I think that there's something that we could all be learning from each other. The reason I have this cartoon here is when I was at Al Jazeera in the, you know, we were working in social media, we used to walk around and joke and say, you know, if you work in social media, you have to be social. And we were half joking, but actually there's some truth to it because if you are working in the social media realm, it is about engagement and it is about authenticity. And I think now we're to a point where if somebody is not being engaging or authentic as a publisher, your audience will know it and they will leave. And it's the same thing for this. Engagement is not something you do, it's something that you are. So if you want to be embodying something on these platforms, I think you inherently have to embody that as well. And then I just threw this little guy in on the right-hand side for fun, so that innovation is oxygen. <laughs> so this is a metric that you won't find on CrowdTangle or any of these analytical platforms. And I think that is the female audience. And I think that we should be making women a target. The reason that I say that is there was a study done by the GMMP looking at the presence of women and girls in news from 1995 to 2015. They found that the global average of women in news was only 25%. It stretches up to 36% in North America and drops down to 18% for the Middle East, North Africa region. So there are some presences who are doing it right. So Maryam, who I showed in the previous slide, did a project for BBC Africa on Facebook where they were showcasing African women you need to know. And after doing this for just a few instances, they were able to completely flip their Facebook audience around from being male dominated and heavy for an African audience to being female first. And I think this is a metric that a lot of kind of uh, social media third party platforms don't really pay attention to, but I think it is something that we, again, working in this realm should be, should be building in. So that's the end of um, my presentation. I think maybe to wrap up, uh, I mentioned that I had done this talk on social video where everybody's kind of jumping on the bandwagon. And, and one of the quotes that I came across recently were, tactics are great, but tactics become commoditized. The way that it links into this talk is we all know that Facebook changes its algorithm quite regularly. You get used to something, they changed it. Think about Periscope a couple of years ago. Everybody was talking about Periscope or even Meerkat. Who's talking about them now? Not very many. Everybody's talking about Facebook Live, but in a way, Mark Zuckerberg recently deprioritized the importance of Facebook Live. So in saying that, it's, it's not always going to be an advantage to kind of jump on this bandwagon and to do something that everybody else is doing. It's not about being the same as everybody else. It's to be the only person that's doing it. And again, to take a lesson from businesses, when we're working for these organizations and the fellows, you'll go back after a period of time to your home organizations. Mm -hmm. Does your organization really know what it stands for? Is there really that one true goal that you know, okay, you know, I work for X organization, we do features, or we just do breaking news, or we do this? Or are you in a market that's saturated with that? And I think if we start to ask ourselves these fundamental questions, the rest of it will follow. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much.